Welcome to the Project Unchained podcast, where my special guests and I help you break free from the chains that hold you back from life's greatest experiences. The goal of this podcast is to educate people on self-care modalities that can and will improve your life if you commit to doing them. An effective self-care regimen is the single most important thing you can do for yourself to have a more extraordinary life experience. I'm your host, Ross Lepola, and I've spent the past several years of my life on a journey of healing and self-care after living many years chained down by my own limiting thoughts and beliefs. Now, I'm here to share what I have learned and to empower you to break free from the chains that hold you back from your unlimited potential. Let's get unchained. When you were lost in the woods, you were misunderstood by everyone, everyone. You were searching for words, but they came out absurd. And no one heard you, no one heard you speak your mind. They lost the This show is brought to you by The Belonging Blueprint. A strong sense of belonging is imperative to cultivating a life of joy, fulfillment, and purpose. With a strong sense of belonging, you will have the confidence it takes to do and create your life on your terms. It's time for you to break free from your self-limiting thoughts, your insecure thought patterns, and the social conditioning that keeps you from living your most authentic life. The Belonging Blueprint is a self-development course that has been designed to help you create the deepest sense of belonging within yourself. Guided along the way by myself, Ross Lepola, you will grow to a place that leaves you empowered to experience life on your terms. You can join me and others in a private community that will support you on your journey of personal growth and development. To get more information and to enroll, you can click the link in the show notes. You belong here. Hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome back to the Project Unchained podcast. I'm your host, Ross Lepola, and today I have my friend and special guest on the show, Ashley Will. Ashley has some tough events that have occurred in her life, substance abuse, sexual abuse. So be be aware that some of those things will come up in case those things might be trigger points for you. Uh, I want you to be aware that those are going to be some things we talk about today and her experience and not just the things that she endured, but more importantly, how she overcame those things and where she has been able to grow to in her life now, being a lot more healthy, happy, and vibrant compared to where she was stuck at um, and what she was trying to drown out and uh, hide from behind substance use. So I'm incredibly grateful for Ashley's vulnerability and her willingness to share her story even even the hard parts, the parts that kind of suck, that can rile up some dark points in our lives from our past. So yeah, I'm incredibly grateful that she was willing to share those with us so that we can have more conversations like this and put them out there for people that might need to hear them so they can take that step and choose themselves to work on themselves and heal themselves. So... Let's get into it. Welcome to the Project Unchained podcast, where my special guests and I help you break free from the chains that hold you back from life's greatest experiences. 
The goal of this podcast is to educate people on self-care modalities that can and will improve your life if you commit to doing them. An effective self-care regimen is the single most important thing you can do for yourself to have a more extraordinary life experience. I'm your host, Ross Lepola, and I've spent the past several years of my life on a journey of healing and self-care after living many years chained down by my own limiting thoughts and beliefs. Now, I'm here to share what I have learned and to empower you to break free from the chains that hold you back from your unlimited potential. Let's get unchained. When you were lost in the woods, you were misunderstood by everyone, everyone. You were searching for words, but they came out absurd. And no one heard you, no one heard you speak your Hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome back to the Project Unchained podcast. I am your host, Ross Lepola, and today I have my friend and special guest on the show, Ashley Will. Ashley has some tough events that have occurred in her life, substance abuse, sexual abuse. So be be aware that some of those things will come up in case those things might be trigger points for you. Uh, I want you to be aware that those are going to be some things we talk about today and her experience and not just the things that she endured, but more importantly, how she overcame those things and where she has been able to grow to in her life now, being a lot more healthy, happy, and vibrant compared to where she was stuck at um, and what she was trying to drown out and uh, hide from behind substance use. So I'm incredibly grateful for Ashley's vulnerability and her willingness to share her story, even even the hard parts, the parts that kind of suck, that can rile up some dark points in our lives from our past. So uh, I'm incredibly grateful that she was willing to share those with us so that we can have more conversations like this and put them out there for people that might need to hear them so they can take that step and choose themselves to work on themselves and heal themselves. So let's get into it. Ashley Will, my friend, thank you very much for joining me today here on the Project Unchained podcast. How are you doing tonight? Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be on. Um, I'm doing wonderfully. I am settling into a new house and just enjoying life in Arizona. Yeah, that's exciting. How's uh, how's the new home ownership going for you? <laughs> it's always a challenge. Uh, it's my second home. Um, and yeah, definitely just trying, it, it definitely tests my mental flexibility with having people in and out of my house, but you know, it's a big sign of growth. Right. Yeah. That flexibility is definitely a nice big sign of growth being able to handle that. Um, and obviously some flexibility too, as we were supposed to record last week, but you had some Mm -hmm. plumbing problems you had to take care of. So that's always, yes. Less yeah, than plumbing, desirable. Yep. Plumbing is not something we mess around with. So, <laughs> <laughs> No. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, when the plumber says they can come, you have to 
have to allow it. So thank you for the flexibility. I appreciate oh, it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So as we get started here, how about uh, let's start off with a bit of intro and kind of familiarize sure. your, ourselves with uh, who Ashley Will is. Sure. Um, okay, so I'm Ashley Will. I am a 27-year-old female out in Arizona. I just moved out here a year and a half ago. Um, I'm from Boston, Massachusetts originally. Um, I have a doctorate in physical therapy and practice in neurologic physical therapy where I have board specialization. Um, And then I also compete in powerlifting, which is how we know each other. Um, So I've been competing in powerlifting for uh, nine years now, I think. Um, So I've still been maintaining my presence in the competitive world in that aspect. Um, And aside from that, I'm a dog owner and homeowner. Right. Yeah. Fantastic. (laughs) Um, And obviously, like, you're in a really good place for yourself where you're at now with, you know, moving into your second home and uh, being a competitive power lifter. But it hasn't always been like that for you. You've had uh, some troubling times. What, uh, What was your childhood like? So my childhood, it's so funny. If you asked me this like two years ago, I would have been like, wow, I had such an amazing childhood. I was so lucky. I was so fortunate, you know, and I really was like financially, my parents were well off. Um, I never had a need not met in terms of finances or having clothes or resources for activities I wanted to do. Um, But, you know, after I've entered the mental health world and done all of my therapy, there was a lot of dysfunction in my family growing up. Um, And my emotional needs were not met by my family. Um, And there was just lots of turmoil between my parents constantly. So it never felt to me safe growing up. And I always felt like there was something wrong And I had high, high levels of anxiety, but I didn't know at the time that it was anxiety. I just kind of thought that that's how everyone was. Um, And so I did really well in school. You know, I was like their poster child. I was the middle child. Um, And I did great in school, but my sister growing up had a lot of substance use issues um, by the time she was like 14 and 15. So I got to see from a young age that you know, like, oh, wow, substance use is really scary. Um, She had a lot of sexual trauma happen, and a lot of stuff happened around her own issues that me, growing up, I saw, and it was a little traumatizing trying to see my parents navigate that. Um, Right. And the parents' turmoil eventually ended in my mother and father, eventually, when I was 18, temporarily separating for about five years. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it's definitely like one of those things that's more under the radar and subliminal because you don't have the awareness around it as a, as a younger person. Exactly. And I think we were trained, you know, as a kid, like the messages I heard from my dad was, you're so lucky. You are the luckiest girl. You have so much, you have so much to be grateful for instead of acknowledging like, oh, you're sad and you're anxious, it was, wow, toughen up, be happy, be happy. Instead of, you know, saying, oh, yeah, you can have 
both exist. I was really happy and fortunate, and I was also really anxious and scared. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The the invalidation of of the emotions mm-hmm. and that the experience of the person uh, definitely seems to be very prevalent in our culture. Um, definitely. I would. I've experienced similar things. You know. Um, and I, the way, some of the ways I've looked at it is I emotionally illiterate, uh, when I got a little older and started working on my self care and and doing that and getting some, uh, coaching and therapy. And it's like, man, I, I don't know anything about my feelings. Like, what do you feel? I I don't know. Uh, What do you, what do you mean? I don't have feelings. (laughs) And yeah. so that's definitely uh, interesting. What, for you, moving forward, um, coming out of childhood, coming out of the teenage years, how did that inability to connect with your emotions, what did that lead you towards? So, you know, it, it led me initially to seek validation kind of outside of myself, you know, because I... I couldn't figure out what was going on inside myself. And so, and early on, I really thought like, oh, I can't use substances. You know, there's such a strong issue with alcohol and drugs in my family. At first, I thought I'd be sober forever. So I instead really looked at like excelling in school, going off to college and excelling and excelling in powerlifting and really kind of almost numbing out by becoming almost like a workaholic, you know, right. um, and became a perfectionist. And so all of my focus was externally on these achievements. What's the next achievement? What's the next thing I'm doing instead of actually validating my own, my own yeah. self. Yeah. I can, I can relate to that a lot. Um, it's very similar ideas and concepts too, that Ian Bell right. talked about in his episode. So, um, right. so you used, sports and school and things of that nature to create validation for yourself externally. And I I suppose as I try to relate to it with, with some of my story, um, I, I used that as well to like sweep the things that hurt me under the rug and kind of uh, avoid dealing with any of the turmoil that was with inside me. Um, It sounds like that's similar to what you were you were doing and experiencing. Yes, I think, yeah, it's like I feel like from a young age I was trained to, like, be an optimist and be grateful and look at your success. And constantly what I was rewarded for or when I got attention from my family, it was when I was doing really well. And so, you know, it's like one way that I got attention and feedback from my family is if I had an achievement And so it felt good every time I had an achievement. And on paper, everything looked great. You know, by the time I'm 18 or 19, it's like, yeah, I'm in this accelerated program at Boston University. I'm competing in powerlifting. I have all these achievements and things to say for my name. And so it made me feel good. But despite the fact that internally I had no idea what was going on, So I feel like when we're in states of being like that, at some point, things start to break down, the shit hits the fan, and mm-hmm. we we get more lost. 
I, I, I would imagine that your story kind of follows a similar path. It, it definitely did. I mean, I, it started mostly the first time I drank alcohol, I was 18 and about to go to college again, kind of numb to my feelings. And I was coerced by a boyfriend at the time who told me I should try drinking alcohol because otherwise I'll go to college and end up drinking alcohol and getting, you know, taken advantage of. That was his <laughs> rationale. Um, and unfortunately, at that time, he, the first time I drank alcohol with him, he actually had sex with me when I was blackout drunk the first time. So there was this huge trauma that I didn't put two and two together of like, wow, I really didn't want to drink. And I planned at that time to be a virgin until marriage. And so I had this loss of this these two identity things of, oh, I'm going to be sober because my whole family has issues with substances. And I really wanted to you know, have my virginity until I was married. And I lost both in one night um, and then went off to college and kind of felt like at that time I lost my family too. So my family, my mom and dad split right, right around that time. Um, and my mom got really mentally ill and really wouldn't make any contact with me or my father or any of my family. So I had all this loss of these different things that were really important to me and this disconnect from my family. And then I was like placed in the perfect college environment where you start to be able to, oh, you know, go out to parties and drink. Um, but again, I kind of managed it, swept it under the rug because I was, you know, 18, 19 people go out and they do that. Um, and fortunately, I think I held out for so long because I wasn't 21. So I couldn't get um, access to alcohol as easily as one would have wanted. Um, so for a while, it kind of just like brewed a little bit, but I was still deeply hurting. I mean, I was crying about my mom all the time, um, and I thought that I hated her. You know, I really thought that she was the worst person in the world because she, you know, I wouldn't talk to her for months at a time. Um, and I couldn't understand why I was being, you know, it felt like I was being abandoned. Um, and then the, so to speak, shit hits the fan moment was when I was finally 21 and could start drinking on my own and started dating. And that's when things really went south for me because I had access to this substance and all this turmoil. Um, and I when I was 21, unfortunately, had an incident where I went out on a date with somebody mm -hmm. and we had one drink and he ended up um, putting GHB in one of my drinks and date raping me. And so that was like the icing on the cake for setting me up for this substance use problem. For sure. Wow. Yeah, that's that's heavy. So your, your first experience drinking was when you were 18, getting ready to move off to college, and your then-boyfriend uh, took advantage of you while you were basically unconscious yes, and not able to make your own choices and decisions. It was, it was non-consensual. It was non-consensual, yes. I remember that night is I – after I – what I kind of came to, I actually ran out into the street like half naked and called my mom to come pick me up 
And I cried on her lap that summer about like how, you know, what had just happened. So I was like, in that moment, I knew to grieve. Like right away, I felt awful. Right. But you had space at that moment to at least grieve and uh, express some of your emotions. But then at the same time, now you're shortly after that, your mom kind of goes off somewhere on her um, dealing with her own shit. Um, yes. And then you, you had a, quite a sense of abandonment. Absolutely. How did that, uh, what was that like for you? It was very traumatic. I mean, I, I think I didn't, I felt so alone and it was so sad. I, you know, I went, I grew up in a small town just outside of Boston. And so I went to school at Boston University so I could be close to my family. And during the holidays, I was having to stay with friends or stay in the dorms and I wasn't getting to see my family. And so it, it was just deeply upsetting. And again, nobody there to validate. You know, I, I would tell my dad, like, oh, I'm so upset. I hate my mom. And he would be like, don't talk about your mom like that. You know, and so he wouldn't even, he couldn't understand why I was feeling the way I did. Um, and I unfortunately tried to access mental health resources at the time and went and saw a counselor and I had a terrible experience. Um, my counselor fell asleep on me. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so I stopped seeking out services, obviously, because I was like, wow, this is such a negative experience. Yeah. And so then at that point, I was like, all right, I guess my problem isn't big enough. Like, you know, I guess it's not that severe. So I just was like, I'll deal with it myself and just kind of pushed it, suppressed it down and focused on lifting. You know, when I was 19 and 20, that's when I really was very successful in lifting because I was just so hyper focused on that instead of the family drama. Right. Um, for my personal frame of reference when we met in finland in 2015 where was where was that at in this kind of time scale 2015 would have been about sophomore sophomore junior junior year of college so mom was still out of the picture um, okay i was 20 so i still had not gotten to the point of being able to be like my full-blown um, alcoholic that I developed into being at 21. But I was on the gotcha. way. But I was in that act of like, hey, I'm going to suppress everything and just be really good at powerlifting and be the best physical therapist ever. Right. Yeah. No, that, that's that's interesting to, to put some pieces together on that timescale for myself because that right. – I was I was really shocked at one point um uh when I saw some of your recovery stuff being posted on your social media I was like whoa I had no idea right when we met that there was that there would have ever you seemed like such a happy individual I had no idea that there was any of that going on so it's right it, I stuff like that just always reminds me like it doesn't it's not always what you see that that yeah. is somebody's true experience. Yeah, definitely. Um, I had so many people tell me like, whoa, we had no idea you even had a drinking problem at the peak of my drinking. And I'm like, 
yeah, you just, you know, people are really good at concealing things and putting on a face for, you know, society. So you just never know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I re I can relate to that in some, some ways too. Um, I, you know, when I was 12, I was suicidal and right. I, I didn't tell a single person until I was like 19 or 20. Wow. Uh, I didn't tell my mom or dad until like four months or six months before my first podcast episode because I knew my mom was going to listen to this and I wanted her to hear it from me directly <laughs> and not from the podcast. So I'm like, okay, now right. it's time to tell mom and dad. And, wow. You know, I remember my dad being like, I don't understand why you'd want to kill yourself. I'm like, oh. I'm, I, you know, mm -hmm. I guess I was good at hiding it. Correct. You know, Definitely. and that's, that can be the, the scary part is, is how good people we can be at hiding those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It can be like an invisible illness. Sometimes I think of it as. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's real easy to see somebody with a, a gaping wound on the, on their forehead, but it's really hard to see right. when that gaping wound is behind the forehead. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's an invisible illness most of the time. So definitely makes us be like, for me, empathetic for other people. We just never know when they're struggling. Yeah. So you didn't quite fully get into like super problematic drinking until you turned 21 when you had, when it was a lot easier to access. Correct. And so what happened at that point? Um, really at that point, I, I had, when I turned 21, I had the like date rape incident and mm -hmm. I had to go right after it off to a clinical for school for physical therapy in Utah. And so I was going to be isolated in this new state alone. And I started getting into this pattern, this habit of like, you know, before bed, I would get nightmares and I would, you know, I would be worried about getting nightmares and I would get really restless. And I was like, Hey, you know, I have a glass of wine before bed. I feel like I fall asleep faster. Um, and then one would always turn into two for me. You know, I just didn't have, and we know this about people with drinking issues. Like we just don't have a stop button. Once I start, I just kept going. Um, and so again, the motivation of finishing school kind of kept it like in a corral. Like I was really a high functioning alcoholic. I was able to, you know, like I said, I'd have a glass of wine or at two and then go to sleep and then, you know, go to my clinical. But on the weekends, I would binge drink, you know, Friday and Saturday, I would have like upwards of 10 drinks. Um, and just want to forget and numb out from everything. And then I'd wake up the next morning having done something crazy and silly and embarrassing and have so much shame that I would want to drink again to forget what I just did. So it put me in this vicious cycle. But I was fortunate enough that I was like, yeah, and then I have to go back to my clinical on Monday. And so I would kind of real, you know, harness it in again and tuck it away. And it was like that basically through all of school and kind of my first year of when I got out of um, school and worked as a physical therapist, I really managed it pretty well. 
um, you know, for a high functioning alcoholic, but at the end of the day, like I was still doing crazy things. I mean, it, it, it doesn't make any sense to be having to drink every night to go to sleep. Um, and then on the weekends getting blackout drunk, um, by the time it hit 2020, I was in a abusive relationship with a guy and that further made me want to, you know, when I came home, we actually lived together. I wanted to drink more to numb out more. Um, right. so every night I just wanted to be blackout drunk despite knowing that I had to work in the morning and it's really hard to work in the medical field when you are, you know, getting blackout drunk nearly every night. Yeah. It's very, yeah. So that things really started to hit the fan in 2020. See, you mentioned that you were doing lots of crazy things on the weekends. It was primarily like the weekends that were through college, uh, mm -hmm. the, the hard times or, or well, the, the blackout times, blackout drunk on the weekends and doing crazy things. Um, that in turn probably left you feeling that guilt and shame that in turn made you want to numb the feelings out even more. And as you, you graduated and you're in the working field, did that start to spill over more and more into the weekdays and out of the weekends? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, now I'm in the working field and I don't have homework to do at night, you know, and so there's, you can... You know, what I saw is I was like, yeah, you can start drinking earlier. Um, and so, uh, you know, part of a sign of an alcoholic is, you know, I always said, oh, I'll never, I'm not an alcoholic because I'll never drink on the weekdays and then I'll never drink in the morning or I'll never do, you know, I'll never have liquor during the week. Well, I did, I ended up doing all of that. So mm -hmm. it slowly was like, hey, every work night I'm now drinking um, and then it was every work night I was basically blacking out. Um, I had around my house cause I, again, I lived with somebody and I was concealing it from him. Like he didn't know I had an issue or he didn't know and he didn't care cause he was abusive. I had bottles of alcohol lit, like hidden all around my house, like in my laundry basket. I had them hidden in the oven. I had them hidden in my garage gym because he never went into the gym. So I would pretend to go lift and go drink. I was finding anyway, I told him I was going to go on a run and I would run to the liquor store and grab a bottle and finish it and come back home. So I was doing these like, you know, insane things to access it. Yeah. Like, you wow. know, under the, under the radar and my house has just like so many bottles everywhere, you know, hidden so I could access it whenever. And so when you drink that much, like, I mean, I was probably at the worst having like 10 to 12 shots of like vodka a night from someone my size. That's really terrible. Yeah. I yeah. started to get withdrawals and I started to actually have when I woke up in the morning withdrawal tremors. And so I would, you know, be trying to go into work and my hands would be shaking and I'd be really nauseous. Um, and at that point it becomes a medical emergency. You're at risk of having a seizure from, you know, your body not having the liquor and you having too much neurotransmitters. 
So it's very right. dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so obviously that spilled over and spiraled more and more out of control. Um, and it sounds like the general theme is, is the, uh, numbing of things that we can't cope with and, and handle. Um, where did yeah. you have other numbing and coping mechanisms that you were, um, I, don't, I I struggle to find the right word, uh, disempowered by. Yeah. So I, the biggest numbing was the alcohol. And then I didn't know I was doing this, but we recreate our trauma trying to kind of numb from that. Right. And I learned that in rehab, like, oh, you know, I had these two really big sexual assaults in my life. And now I was dating somebody who was abusive and assaulting me. And so I was reliving this dynamic that was so emotionally destabilizing that it basically caused me all the time to dissociate. You know, I was, it was so destabilizing that it, you know, the highs and the lows of the relationship was almost like, um, you get addicted to the, the hormones of the highs and the lows and it felt normal to me to have this like tumultuous relationship. But I also grew up seeing my parents have such a like abnormal, unstable relationship that I thought like maybe that's what relationships should be. And so I really, I never had a healthy relationship for a while. They were always like abusive, unstable with people who were very dangerous and the highs and the lows of that really were, numbing to to some extent right yeah yeah we almost it's like we become a a addicted to our own trauma and our own vicious uh circle and and keeping that it's like we identify with it and that's who we are and well damn it that's who i am that's who i gotta be that's who i'm gonna show up as exactly yeah so i was in like a victim mindset you know like i was stuck in this victim mindset. And I kept replaying that. Um, and I had, you know, the one healthy outlet I had that I still took too far was powerlifting. You know, I, when you lift, you also release endorphins and it, you get kind of a natural high, but I was doing it obsessively. You know, I was going to the gym and not following a program, but instead going to the gym and like going max effort, trying to just like exhaust myself so much that I would just collapse. And so it was self, it was almost like self-harm in a way. Yeah. Especially if you're not fueling your body for that kind of exercise and alcohol is not going to, not going to allow your body to recover in the way that you need it. Nope, definitely not. And so, yeah, my worst, I was lifting while during my lifts, like in my home gym, that I had, I was actively drinking during the lifts and like just the yeah. insanity that that is of like, that makes no sense. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so absolutely yeah. no sense. None, none whatsoever. Um, that that's, that's dark. I mean, that's right. definitely a, a, a lonely place to get to in a life. Right. Um, and obviously, so like that was in 2020 and now here we are towards the end of 21. Um, so we're not that far removed. Right. Um, 
what where was uh where is the the spark to start climbing out of that what was that like where'd that come in to play so the spark was my rock bottom i mean everyone usually with these substance issues hits a rock a rock bottom and you have a point where somebody comes and says like hey you have an issue and is going to help you with that issue and so i had an issue that after work i got drunk after work but still on campus mm-hmm. and you know was found passed out at work you know i hadn't i would never i never drank during my patients but i was like doing notes after work and i drank and i got in a lot of trouble obviously right it's at a hospital um right. and that sparked you know at that moment the option was like you can go to rehab and keep your job or you can be fired you know and so i obviously was like well of course i'll go to rehab like i knew there was a problem i think i was just waiting for that breaking point and that was it um right and i went to my first rehab in march um april of last year gotcha gotcha um i i guess that's amazing to hear that like your coworkers and and people in that corner of your world were able to like do that in that way. And I feel like there's a lot of people in a lot of situations that their work would just be reactive and be like, you friggin' alcoholic, you're fired or something like that and not help right. the person. Um, right. So I'm definitely grateful to hear that those people had your, had your back in that sense to get you uh, the right. kick in the ass you needed to go, go to rehab. Right. So, yeah. So you go to rehab and what was that like? I went to, I ended up going to two rehabs. So the first rehab was wonderful. I went to McLean and um, back in Massachusetts. It was a 30 day program. It was very small. Um, and it was the first time I, you know, called myself an alcoholic. It was a lot of information for me. I was back in therapy again. I was doing the trauma therapy again. Um, but I hadn't, you know, by the time I finished, I hadn't like fully committed to the idea that I was going to be sober the rest of my life. And so I ended up relapsing a few months after it. Mm -hmm. But when I relapsed, I knew I needed help. So they had planted the seed that like, Hey, if you're going to keep relapsing, you're going to you know, you're going to have to get help again. So I had a short relapse in the summer of last year and it was a bad relapse. I, I drank and it was like a 10, 10 day bender where I was like, I was out of work. I drank all day, every day. I went right back to my old drinking. There was no moderation. It wasn't like, Oh, I'm now able to have like one or two drinks. It was right back to where I was, where I left off probably worse. And then I ended up agreeing and actually wanting to go to a second rehab that was more specialized in trauma therapy um, mm-hmm. and the kind of stuff I needed to resolve the family trauma growing up as well. Yeah. I can relate to that. Uh, when I was try to quit chewing, I chewed for a long time and I'd quit and then I'd be like, Oh, I can have one here or there. And it doesn't, it wouldn't, No. Nope. it was, it was a, a full blown addiction and I, it was right. either 
on or off. There wasn't, yes. there wasn't a dimmer switch to it. Um, yes, I, no, no dimmer switch for me when it comes to drinking, you know, that's, but sometimes you have to, like, I'm a stubborn person. I think I had to experience it. Like I needed to know for a fact that like, yeah, there was no moderation for me that it was, yeah, like it was either I was going to be an alcoholic or I was going to be sober and there, there was no in between. And I tend to think that when there, when there's something, when there's a substance like that, um, that it's especially dangerous when it is being used as a numbing or a coping agent. If it's like not like how some people are social drinkers or can do something like that and it not become a problem, so right. to speak. Um, I think it's because there, it's not being used in that coping mechanism standpoint. Correct. Yeah. I think that it could have been any drug that somebody gave me as long as it numbed what I want. As long as it had the action of numbing, I would have wanted it. And it was the, I was addicted to this numbing process, less of the alcohol. I never thought alcohol tasted good. You know, I just liked that it kind of made everything quiet. Right. So the second time you go to rehab, it specialized a lot more in the the trauma and the family diving into those things so that you can work through and heal through some of those things. Um, what was some of that like to unearth some of that and, and do that shadow work and look yourself in the mirror and, and see, see those things? Yeah. I mean, it was life changing. I think that I would go back there in a heartbeat if I was ever struggling, but they looked at the family dynamic from when I was born and had us write a timeline of everything that's ever happened to us, you know, and get to present that to a group and have the group give you feedback um, and just feel heard. Your whole story is finally heard. And I think just sharing the story and being able to look other people in the eyes and tell them exactly what happened to you. And nobody ran out of the room. You know, nobody laughed. Nobody judged me. But everyone was there to give me feedback like, wow, I can't believe that's what you went through. And that was probably the most healing part of it was just sharing the raw details of my story with other people and having them hear me repeat back what I said and still be there. And there's some of those people are still my friends today that I got to share. Um, so yeah, it, that was the most life-changing thing. And I think there is where I really shed that, that burden, like shed that cross that I was carrying, that I finally let it go. You know, we did this ceremony where we burned, you know, some papers in the desert at the end to symbolize it. And I really feel like we were, you know, releasing that, that burden of what I had been holding and numbing for so long. Yeah. That's, that's really, that's a really cool story uh, on a couple of levels. One, like the idea of, of burning those papers and what they symbolize in the desert. Uh, that's a really cool uh, healing technique. That was something my life coach did with me. She had me uh, draw images and pictures and write words on things that, um, 
were traumatizing to me and things that caused me stress and things that I was holding on to and right. told me to light it on fire and, and, you know, visualize and talk out loud about releasing those things and releasing that attachment to those things. And, um, wow. it can be a really effective tool to let go of some shit that you just need to let go of. Absolutely. Yeah. It felt great. Like cathartic. Like you're finally, yeah, it's there, it's gone. And you have this discreet end point. Like you have the start point of when it happens and then you have closure. Yeah. And I think too, it's really, I like hearing the idea that you're talking about it, like writing out your story timeline and being able to speak it and see that people are hearing you and hearing your story and, and, not getting into that circle of, or into, into that pattern of being invalidated by your experiences. Um, I, I look at like suppression of that stuff is depression. And that suppression of all that stuff is exactly how people get into that point where they reach out for substance because they need to continue to suppress it. And that's their, that's what they know. And right. so unearthing some of this stuff and expressing it is huge. I I've been benefiting from that a lot doing the podcast and like forget all yeah. about something and then it'll come up in an episode that I'll want to share and talk about it. And I'll talk about it. And be like, man, I feel lighter tonight after recording that episode, like awesome. just expressed it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It lets you, yeah, again, it lets you feel validated, feel heard, and, yeah, expressing our reality of, like, what's happened to us is so important. I just think that was what – it seems so simple, too. But when do we have a chance in life to really sit down and take the seat and do that? Yeah, especially when it's not really – stuff like that's not really taught to us, you know? I, I look at it. I'm like, Oh, why didn't my parents teach me this? I'm like, well, they didn't go on this journey that I'm on. They didn't, they didn't know. Um, that it's not going to be taught in any public education system. <laughs> like that's not what the public education, education system is all about. It, they have a, a, a different agenda. Um, Correct. so it, unfortunately it can take a, a bit of an, uh, ugly and lonely road for, for some people to, to get to this point where they can go on that healing journey and unearth some of that trauma. Um, were there any like points during that, particularly that second rehab where you're just like, Oh, I, f I get it now. I get it. I understand it. And that like, having that moment of like connection with getting it and understanding it be like one of those, one of those fueling moments to really like push forward and lean into those uncomfortable, hard feelings that have just been stuffed away for so many years. I think the, the one of, one of the other exercises they had us do was, um, list all of the side effects of or things that had happened as a result of the way we were living. Again, how did it affect you spiritually, financially, at work, um, physically, the side effects? 
I mean, and announce them again to our group. It took us, like for me, it took me two hours to announce all the things that the drinking and the numbing from my family and numbing with relationships had done. And we put it on a huge whiteboard and I still have the whiteboard today. And it, you know, at this moment we see on this whiteboard, all of the, you know, that's your old way of living, the numbing, the drinking, the suppressing, that's where it ended you up. You know, we added up the expenses of like medical bills and rehab and it was like half a million dollars, you know? (laughs) And I'm like, I'm at the time I was, 26, I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's exorbitantly expensive. Um, You know, getting, I got a DUI, you know, getting into legal trouble, getting into, you know, hurting and ending friendships and hurting my family. I just saw all of it as a direct result of this coping mechanism I had done. And I actively felt like in that moment I had this choice, like a crossroad of I can choose to keep doing that or I can move forward and learn this new way. And every day I kind of wake up and I think I have this choice. I have this like crossroads I have to pick. And initially the, you know, living a very, a life where you're in tune with yourself and you're not numbing is harder, but in the long term, it reaps so many more benefits and you don't end up with a whiteboard of (laughs) negative things from it in the long term. Right the quality of your experience is a lot more enriched. Right. Like way better. So at that point, I just had no question. I was like, I don't ever want to drink again. I don't want to numb again because I know exactly where it'll end me up. I've like fully committed. If I do that back, I'm going to be back at my rehab. (laughs) Like (laughs) I'll go right back there. That's So every morning now I just think of that crossroads and I've chosen a different life. Yeah, no, I think that's great. There's there's a couple of things that I really like from that is one like tapping into your power of choice and and knowing I think when we can connect with that like that we have the power to choose um we we learn to choose better and wiser and we learn to choose things that are going to elevate and enrich our our life and our experiences and the events we have and the people around us and the things we share with them. Um, And the other thing is just like the awareness, like your awareness of what those choices were doing and creating to me is what I hear is, was one of the big turning points for you. And that is a huge part of the healing journey is the, you can't heal anything that you're not aware of. And awareness is the first step. It has to be, it has to come, it has to happen, or you, you likely will not be able to make a different choice. Um, and I look at that and think about it just from like a, a bigger societal aspect, um, avoiding a long, <laughs> a long rant that this could tear right. off on. Um, but just the the lack of consciousness in society and all the different things that we do that 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 numb out our consciousness and and create lack of consciousness that it isn't even necessarily a substance abuse. Um, nope. Uh, I this year I recently gave up watching eight hours of football every Sunday because it took more from my life than it gave me, and that was a right. big part of like 
doing like that was just so subconscious. I, I wasn't having any conscious awareness or living, having a conscious experience during that eight hours of football every Sunday. And I think back to how much time and money I spent to do that. And I'm like, man, what memories do I have from that? Not, not a lot, not a lot, not like, yeah. So <laughs> having that awareness and, and elevating our consciousness, I think is, uh, like that is part of the healing journey. Yeah. I think it's like, it's still a little taboo and it's like, I think part of it's driven by our society. Like, again, we're so stuck on being highly successful and having like, you know, endeavors that we're doing. And then, like you said, the other thing is we have so many ways to numb in our society of like football on Sunday, you have gambling, you have going out, you have whatever whatever else things we can do that are numb but they don't have as strong side effects so you don't there's no crash and burn necessarily right you know there's nothing that's going to be like oh man that's really being problematic but are we checking out more than we should probably but then there's the driving issue i think is people chronically just don't feel safe in their bodies you know the reason i was numbing out was cuz when i did try to check in and be present, it felt so dysregulated and no one ever taught, like teaches you, how do you actually sit with yourself, like in a quiet room and meditate or just be present? <laughs> you know, it's like, that's not a class in school. I wish it was, but it's considered yep. taboo. You know, if I mentioned to a patient that we're going to start meditating still some of the times people are like wait what <laughs> they're like meditate why <laughs> <laughs> yeah well because you're in physical therapy and you need to let go of some of that tension in your body and this is a great right. way to let that go <laughs> right exactly yeah wow yeah i'm that's a that's a really good way to put it i i like i like a lot of that and yeah i I have been in a ridiculous overthinker and the way I look at it is if you take a pen and just swirl it all over the place, like that's what my brain used to look like before meditation and after meditation, it's more concentric circles and yeah. it's like allowed me to reorganize and have more organized thought process. So I, I can just sit and be in silence for a few moments and right. The clarity that that can bring is right. amazing. Yeah, How, absolutely. It's a challenge, but once you learn it, it's a good skill. It feels amazing. I I agree. I it's a, it's become a go to self care tool for me, and um, to the point where I, I used to meditate once a day, and now I meditate twice a day. Oh wait, no, now actually I meditate three times a day, like at at least sometimes more if I feel the need for it. Right. Um, it's awesome. Yeah, it that it is. How would you characterize your life where it's at now compared to where it was when you were still numbing out? Like what's the biggest what's the biggest difference in your life and like what does that do for you and bring to you? The biggest difference I think is that I'm not I'm no longer running away from something, you know, I was constantly either living in the past or 
looking into the future, but never just sitting and looking where I was and being okay with where I was. It was always traumatized running from the past and looking to the future for my next, you know, alakad, like whatever thing I'm going to say is my next success versus just being okay. And now I'm just, you know, every day is intentional. I have awareness and presence throughout most of the day. I'm human. You know, I am going to go back to old patterns if I just, if I don't keep that awareness. And so it's just living each day intentionally and being okay with, you know, trying to keep my, my focus on that, that one day, not every other day that's led up to today. And then all the days that are going to come after it. Yeah. Cause at the end of the day, one of the things, if we look at, we can think about the past, present, or future, and the only thing that we're really able to experience is the present. And if we're thinking about the past or the future, then we can't be in the present moment. And so I look at it. I, I like I like your your idea of living each day intentionally and, and waking up and choosing to be intentional with your day. Um, it that allows you to be a more active participant in what actually occurs in your life and the experiences you get to have a more active role and participate in rather than them happening to you. Exactly. And then reacting, you know, to everything from past trauma, you know, is it carrying around past trauma? Then you're just, I felt like everything that was happening to me, I'm reacting and then running, reacting and running, reacting and running in this vicious cycle versus, yeah, being able to process in the moment and actually have like human connection. Like my human connection has gotten so much better because I'm, like we're saying, present and I'm actually able to participate in like a healthy human connection. <laughs> That's awesome. So obviously that to me states that uh, the the quality of the relationships in your life are much better than what they were. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're deeper and I'm not covering up lies about my drinking. You know, I'm not constantly trying to navigate that. And so I'm able to be authentic. Um, a lot of the family work that we did in rehab helped me to have better skills in terms of having hard conversations with people and mm -hmm. being able to also manage my own, you know, emotions or dysregulation if that comes up without like exploding or without having, you know, an emotional breakdown. So I feel just more stable in general. So more capable of having like an in-depth emotional connection with people. Right. Speaking of hard conversations, what's it been like now for you? going back to your family and your, your mom and your dad and siblings with this new lens on life? I've been so fortunate. There's been so much healing with my family. Um, my, both my parents are back together now, and they have done couples counseling for like almost five years. Um, and it's worked amazing. You know, they... We're still not perfect, but we're all able to name the things that come up when they come up. Like, oh, hey, you're doing that that old thing again. 
and we're able to kind of be a little more transparent and authentic. Um, my parents know the extent of what happened. You know, they know the extent of my whole story. And that was part of the healing journey is that they know that what happened really hurt me. And they know that there was a lot of other events that really hurt me. Um, and being able to put that on the table very clearly and candidly makes it, you know, again, there's not secrets running around in my family. We're all able to say, hey, we all did a little bit wrong here. You know, my drinking also really hurt them and the stuff I was doing. So, you know, being able for us all to have kind of apologies and, you know, making that repair feels more authentic because, you know, they, we all understand actually what impact we made on each other. Um, so I went home for Thanksgiving and it was great to see, you know, my parents are in the house together again. And that is like the ultimate closure for me of that really rough moment was like, you know, having dinner with my mom and dad and a healthy dinner. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really beautiful. I'm, I'm grateful to hear that. And I'm happy, happy that you all have that and brought that connection together and your parents right. got help and they're in a better place and you can have those conversations. Um, right. What about your, your siblings? How are they? Good. So my older sister, you know, I briefly mentioned she had her own struggles growing up. Mm -hmm. um, and she, you know, she fortunately kind of toughed it out and, you know, she ended up getting her master's in engineering and she works for my family's construction company. Um, she has a three-year-old baby boy, um, and she's with her life partner in a nice, beautiful house back home in Boston. So she's close to my family. So she's really, really just happy, you know, happy to be there. She feels like mm -hmm. she's made it through. But, you know, like when I did visit her, I did see her, like she still feels the impact of some of the stuff that happens in her childhood too. So it's nice for us to be able to both be honest of like, wow, that was a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, I can, I can relate to that as well. Um, a big healing moment for my sister and I was when we finally realized we were dealing with the same things only okay. I found I had a different coping mechanism than, than her. And like that, that was healing. It was really healing. So, uh, right. it's great to hear that you and your sister also have that space and, right. um, just yeah, you, your family yeah. happy and healthy. Yeah. It's like, you can almost look back and reprocess a little to realize you weren't as alone as you felt, you know? And so the memory, I can start to think like, oh, while I was going through this, my sister was going through something similar too. And so you don't feel so isolated. It still was hard, but you still in the, in this image in my head, I can imagine, Hey, there was someone else dealing with it too. So again, moving away from that isolated image of like, wow, no one ever was going to understand me. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I think too, in that same light, thinking about it, like, um, just understanding that they were going through their own shit too. And because right. I know for like, at least for me, I, I had a, uh, there was part of me that wanted my sister to save me because she was older and I was younger and she wasn't saving me. Well, 
she couldn't. She was going through her thing too. And right. like that was huge for me to forgive her and for in forgiving her to let go of that that tension that I was still holding on to. Right. Because it's like if you understand it was never her job to save you, neither of you should have been put in a bind where you needed to be saved at all. Right. You know, and that's like when that healing occurs is when you realize like, hey, the whole situation was off and it it lets you kind of release that like attachment to, oh, I needed to be saved to like, oh, that wasn't, that wasn't functional. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. Well, Ashley, I really want to be mindful of your time and not take up too much of your evening. <laughs> Um, Thank you. But before we go, I, I also want to get at what is your go-to self-care tool, um, whether that be what really helped you through rehab the most or like what helps you now the most, um, but like your go-to self-care tool, what, what makes a big impact on your life? Um, how do you use it? What does it do for you so that maybe somebody out there listening can, can apply it to their life? Man, I have a lot, so it's hard to pick one. Uh, let's see. I would say my personal go-to is, it's a combination, is a hot bath with meditation. So okay, I'm very big on meditation, but starting out when I was first trying to get into recovery, meditation was really not possible for me. It was really overwhelming. Right. And so instead, I was able to do like something with my body, like really calming, like getting like, again, a hot bath was feels great for me. And doing it more mindfully, though, not just taking a bath to take a bath, but taking a bath and having the purpose be like, I'm doing this to soothe my body and taking care of my body. And even just, I had to initially like set a timer, like, hey, it's 10 minutes. I'm not going to have phone. I'm not going to have, you know, distractions. I just want stillness. But then, you know, working on like feeling how good the water felt, you know, working on what are the smells of the bath and just kind of doing kind of like a scan of all the, the senses. And then now adding in, now I do a guided meditation in the bath and that's like my ultimate, most relaxing thing. It is in some ways a little numbing, but in a healthy way of like, hey, I'm checking out of my brain and just back into my body and just getting, feeling that like safety and comfort of like, hey, my body's calm. It feels good to be in my body and I'm actually present in my body, but I'm not having all that mental chatter. So the mental chatter does finally stop for me for 20 or 30 minutes. I'm in the bath and doing that meditation. So to me, it's like the, the ultimate, but then I can tap into that. You know, like you said, you meditate like three or four times a day. Sometimes I can turn on a meditation and any time during the day now on my phone, I use insight timer and they have like, even like three minute ones. If I'm overwhelmed at work, I can find a quiet spot, put in my AirPods and just try to listen to that. And that now that I do it enough, feels like it works really well. Right. Right. I want to highlight something there in that I think it's incredibly important and beneficial to have different self-care modalities, uh, body breath techniques, somatic respiratory integration, meditation, 
things that do get us out of our head and into our body because that's part of the reason why we get down that numbing road anyway is because we don't have anything or tools or things like that to regulate <laughs> the rat race that can be ensuing in our minds. So, right. Uh, yeah. I, there's so I many, like that. There's so many ways to do it. And then when you realize how good it feels to actually just, you know, get checked back in with your body, the numbing doesn't seem so attractive because that's temporary and has all these side effects. But the, you know, the meditation and checking back into your body and grounding, breathing, all those things, there's no negative side effect besides, well, they're all positive. It's like you just love life a little <laughs> bit more. <laughs> yeah, a, a, a little bit, a lot. <laughs> yeah, a lot of it more, exactly. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I like that. Now I understand why the plumbing was so important. Right. That's actually <laughs> like the back part of the story is I was like, guys, this is urgent. I literally told them, and I'm happy I advocated for myself. They were like, oh, it's okay. You can go one night without hot water. I was like, well, I could, but I really don't want to. <laughs> yeah. Next thing you know, you're in your kitchen boiling pots of water. <laughs> I, I honestly was thinking about it. I was like, what am I going to do for my bath tonight? I was like, so grateful they were able to fix it the same day. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Well, Ashley, I, I super appreciate your time. I really appreciate your vulnerability. Uh, it was great to hear hear your story, and I'm really grateful that you were able note to about work the through that time and find a better space. I'm not for a yourself. doctor nor a therapist. I agree. I'm just Thank a driven so guy who has seen firsthand what this healing journey can do for the quality of a person's you know, life experiences. The ideas and concepts I share with you are a result of my own ongoing journey and that of my guests. I truly want you to live a more free and empowered life. This is my gift to you. Thanks for joining Project Unchained today. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if the tools you've learned have helped you, please consider leaving a review so that this show ends up higher in search results. By doing that, you can help me help others get unchained. If you know someone who specifically would benefit from today's episode, please share it with them directly. If what I'm discussing on the show resonates with you and you'd like to chat, please do reach out. I respond to all messages. You can find me on Instagram at Ross.Lepola, and I'm on Facebook, Ross Lepola. My email is in the show notes. Lastly, I want to give a special thank you to my very talented cousin, Gaitlin Lee, for the intro and outro music for this podcast. The song is Lost in the Woods from her 2018 album, Learning How to Stay. You can find Gaitlin's albums on Bandcamp, Spotify, and ViolinScratches.com. Until next time, I hope you live your life a little more unchained.
quick note about the Project Unchained podcast. I'm not a doctor nor a therapist. I'm just a driven guy who has seen firsthand what this healing journey can do for the quality of a person's life experiences. The ideas and concepts I share with you are a result of my own ongoing journey and that of my guests. I truly want you to live a more free and empowered life. This is my gift to you. Thanks for joining Project Unchained today. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if the tools you've learned have helped you, please consider leaving a review so that this show ends up higher in search results. By doing that, you can help me help others get unchained. If you know someone who specifically would benefit from today's episode, please share it with them directly. If what I'm discussing on the show resonates with you and you'd like to chat, please do reach out. I respond to all messages. You can find me on Instagram at Ross.Lepola, and I'm on Facebook, Ross Lepola. My email is in the show notes. Lastly, I want to give a special thank you to my very talented cousin, Galen Lee, for the intro and outro music for this podcast. The song is Lost in the Woods from her 2018 album, Learning How to Stay. You can find Galen's albums on Bandcamp, Spotify, and ViolinScratches.com. Until next time, I hope you live your life a little more unchained. Give yourself away.